0: I thought we had a deal. (laughs) As has already said, uh, we are continuing our studies in the second book of Corinthians. And my portion would be from uh, second half of Chapter 5 all the way to the first verses of Chapter 6. Thanks, Jim. For context, we're just going to read from a couple of faces uh, before uh, my passages, just for continuation. Um, I will be looking from verses 11 to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Uh, but we're going to read from verse 9. Wherefore, We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer, that ye may have somewhat to answer, them which glory in appearance and not in the heart. for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Though Ye though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, behold all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit, That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, Now is the day of salvation. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of His word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You once again that we are able to hear Thy voice this morning. We are able to hear Thy voice today. That, O Lord, You are speaking unto us to help us whilst we walk, Lord this path on the side of the veil. Help us, therefore, Lord, to be encouraged and to be strengthened, Lord, by the things that we look at at this time. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the introduction has already been made in the book of Second Corinthians, we would remind ourselves that this is one of those books that are quite different uh, from many of the writings that the Apostle Paul has made. This is one of those books which are very, very close uh, in terms of very personal in the experiences of the Apostle Paul. And you really would derive quite a lot of encouragement or insight into the writing of Second Apostle. If you look at his journey in Acts and follow through all the things that he has been going through, and see the things that he has gone through and the criticism that has come to him and all the troubles that he has been through himself for the cause of the Lord. Let us remember once again who the Apostle Paul was, or rather the Pharisee's soul was before he became the Apostle Paul. This was a man who had the world under his foot. This was somebody who as far as the world is concerned, he had everything. He had connections in the highest echelons of power. He could do virtually anything that he wanted. But ever since his encounter, his experience on the way of Damascus, things changed drastically for this man. Those who were his friends, those who were his acquaintances in his religious life were now suddenly an enemy. Every power that he had in this world, all of a sudden now was taken away from him. For what? He's a man who had everything, and he laid it on the, tot- on the altar, and he gave it up, Because he met somebody on his way to Damascus. And as he goes about his journey, and as he goes through these many experiences, there are opportunities. There were obviously people who were envious of the apostle. And these people, they were looking for occasion to bring him down at every turn. These people have self-appointed themselves as enemies of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, let us look at his attitude as he deals with these people. And also, let us bear in mind that as the Apostle Paul writes these letters to the Corinthians, he himself is not there in Corinth. He is somewhere else. But he is writing these letters As a caring pastor, so to speak, caring for their well-being where they are, even though he himself is not there. He is concerned for them, not for himself, not so that they can donate money to him, not so that they can build mansions for him. He is concerned for them so that they could grow and thrive in the truths that God wants his church to know. He is going to suffer and and pay very high prices, not so that he can gain anything in this world, not so that he will be famous, not so that he will create a name for himself, but because he met somebody on his way to Damascus. Let us look at some of the things here that he deals with. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. To understand this correctly, we have to understand the passages that go before. There are men that have come amongst the assembly in Corinth, who are saying all sorts of things against the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul has just articulated from verse 9 that, you know, we labor so much, we fight so much, not because we want to be approved of man, not because we want to gain favor with man, not because we want to be imported, but our focus, our focus is so that we will be accepted of him. To him, nothing else matters. He wants to be accepted to Christ. That is the attitude of his mind. That is the attitude of his actions. That is what motivates him to do what he is doing. Amidst all the opposition that he is facing, he is saying... I know what I'm doing. What I am doing is not so that I can be loved by people. I'm not going to seek to be approved by those people who want, who are criticizing me. I am not going to seek to appease them so that I be in good books with them. I have a mission to do here, and my mission is to be approved of him. And it is in that context then that he talks about, we know that ultimately, right, whatever these people are saying in your midst, ultimately we are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. He leaves these things to God and he says to them, look, ultimately these things are going to be revealed. Ultimately God who is a fair judge is going to judge on these things. He is going to judge between me and all these people that are criticizing me. And it is in that context that he then therefore says, knowing therefore the terror. The King James Version puts it in in such a way that maybe it may sound kind of like different. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I know we use this verse, and I think biblically so, and rightly so, to say, we know the judgment that God is going to bring upon this world. And we know what God is going to do to those that do not put their trust in the Lord. There is something that is very terrible that is going to happen to them. That is also scripturally true. And because of that, we also plead with them to try and persuade them. That is also true. But in the context of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this particular verse, to interpret it in the context that is meant to convey it, he is saying to them, knowing therefore the reverential fear that we have of the Lord that is shown before you by our conduct we seek therefore to win you as to against those people who are criticizing me we seek to persuade you not because not because we are trying to hoodwink you but We are known of Christ. Our work is in reverential of fear of the man that we serve. It is there before you, and therefore we persuade you. We seek to win you because we have conducted ourselves fearfully of the Lord. Now, Christianity maybe, is Christianity in its biblical sense is perhaps the only faith system that really draws people by the heart. We do not promise people a good life. We do not promise people a problem-free life. We do not promise people wealth and certainly we do not put people at the edge of the sword to come to the faith. We persuade them. We appeal to their hearts. The message of Christianity is a message of Let me talk to you. Let me reason with you. We do not punish people for not coming to the faith. We do not threaten people because they do not believe the message we are giving to them. We persuade man We talk and we reason with them. The things we stand for make sense. We appeal to their hearts so that their hearts would open and see the light. This is how we do it. But the apostle goes on to say, but we are made manifest unto God. Our conduct, we persuade you because of our conduct in our midst. But at the end of the day, God knows us and it is our hope that I trust also that we are made manifest in your consciences. That I also trust that by the way you have known us, by the way that we have been amongst you, by everything that you have heard about me, by the things that I have written to you, speaking of the Apostle Paul, by the things that we have taught you, by the doctrine that we have given you, it is apparent and obvious. It should be apparent and obvious to your consciences of what sort of men that we are. He is not going to say, I hate those people that are in your midst. I hate those people that hate me. I hate those people who talk ill about me. But he is going to appeal to their hearts and say, we are an open book here. We we are known of God. Our argument, our consciences towards God is a settled matter. We do not seek anything from you. It is very important as Christians that our conduct, our practical living, is in conformity and in step of the things that we confess. We cannot be Christians but living like the devils out there. We cannot seek to be different, but be just like the rest out there. We should be different. And this is the argument that the apostle apostle says to these people. Because the truth is, there will always be people, even in this 21st century, that will come in the midst of the people of God. And they will always seek for themselves. They will always seek to benefit themselves. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to put a righteousness meter on the door, right? To measure everybody that comes in. Are we going to start doing heart surgeries to examine people first before they come into fellowship? To see what their hearts are like. We, we won't be able to do these things. These things are go- We're going to live with these things in our midst. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we are be sober, it is for your cause. Now, it seems here, people, these people were actually accusing the Apostle Paul that he was crazy. He's mad. Don't listen to him. He is mad. I mean, this can be looked in two ways. Right? It can be said, right? Okay, whether these people they say that we are crazy. The reason that we are crazy is for God. So be it. Let them call us crazy. We are passionate for God. It is a compliment to be called a crazy Christian. Let them call us crazy. We love, we are fanatic about our Savior. We love him. Let them call us zealots. Because we love him. If they say we are sober, it is for your cause in the sense that if they speak well of us, then good for you as well because they are associated with us. But the other way to look at this is, whether they call us crazy, it doesn't matter. But whether they, we are sober, it is because of you and for you. For, we love, for the love of Christ constrains us Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ controls us. Not here. That it is not the love for Christ. We love Christ. But this is not what scripture is saying. It is the love of Christ. What what is scripture doing here? Scripture is saying it is not so much the things that we are doing for Christ that motivate us. That is not the point. The reason that they call us crazy and fanatics is because of what? The love of Christ for us first. We did not love him first. He loved us first. Now, when we have got that order, what is the Apostle Paul seeing here? What is he talking about? He is seeing something that will let you into the heart of the Apostle. He, he is going to make you understand why he is the man that he is. It is not because he has walked long journeys. Yes, it is true. It is not because he's gone, gone through all these periods. Yes, it is true, but what is driving him is because he recognized, he has grasped the love of Christ for him. What does it say about that? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. I wish we could grasp this. What is the Apostle Paul seeing here? He is saying, because of the love of Christ, what is this love of Christ? Christ died for me. You call me crazy, I'll tell you what is crazy. That Christ would die for me. If Christ died for me, what else is worth more? Live for. Do you see where the craziness of the Apostle Paul comes from? I am the worst of sinners. The Apostle Paul says that. I know I persecuted the church of Christ, I dragged women and children and threw them into prison. I made it my mission. I made it my purpose in life to hunt down Christians everywhere I can find them. You remember that man, Stephen? I stood there and collected the garments of those men and supervised his execution, even as he looked looked up into heaven and cried out, forgive them. And yet Christ would die for me. Now, this means nothing else matters. My sister used to call me out for walking, looking downwards. Why do you always walk looking downwards? I'm afraid that sometimes we as Christians, our perspective is always looking downwards. Let, let, Let me talk to you practically, strictly speaking. Now, I'm not trying to minimize issues. All these things of life all these things that we need in life. We need good health. We need cars. We need jobs. We need marriages. We need families. We need money. These are legitimate things of life. And by his grace, we pray that he provides us for those things. But as Christians we should not always walk down looking downwards. Because if we look downwards, like Duduzi, you are going to be overwhelmed by the things that happen down here. Because if we look downwards, we are going to be obsessed about the things that are down here. Now, I'm not saying all these things are not let, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for these things. But we should always remember as Christians that as needful as we are of these things, he died for you. There is something that is much, much, much greater That is yours. That triumphs over every aspect of difficulty in your life that you are in. We have to grasp this because if we don't grasp this, our joy will be stolen from us. The next time the weather is cold, we are going to be frozen. But when our focus is turned upwards, we look upwards. We see things from God's glasses. We understand who we actually really are. When perspective is now turned heavenly and we see the things, the riches, that we have in him. Honestly speaking, these things don't matter. And I am speaking of somebody who has been in the faith now since 1999. I have had my own ups and downs, but I have learned that There is nothing in this world that can triumph or be so that it's so important to me that the riches that I have in Christ become small. Now, we can cry, it is okay, and we can be sad, it is okay as Christians the lord wept so it is fine i'm not i'm not trying we should be stiff man you know we don't men don't cry no no men men cry trust me i do cry but we know we know what we have in christ He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yet though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know, know we him no more. What is the possible? Talking about here. Henceforth, no we no man after the flesh. We don't judge people by their appearance. We don't judge people by their eloquence. We don't judge people by their status in society. We don't judge people by their pedigree. When we come to these things of God, we, those things don't matter. These people that are attacking the Apostle Paul, they use their statuses, they use their pedigree, they use who they are, they use their knowledge. The, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is, not, this is not it. I remember when I was back in my country, and when we, we were, I went to this other church, and we were having a service. And then it happened on that particular service that a politician walked in. And, and 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 came in and well-known politicians. Then everybody turned their hands, and then they come and then they sit down. And you know the next thing, they ask the politician to take the pulpit Why? Because he's is an important person to this world. Because he because he's a politician. Because he's a man of status. He 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 has no share in the things of God. The thing, That is not what we use. This is not how we judge men. And therefore, similarly, because we don't, we don't judge men after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. There are people during Paul's time who could have said the Jesus you're talking about was my neighbor the Jesus you're talking about I knew him because we used to play together the Jesus you're talking about is from Judah I am from Judah too the apostle Paul knew the Lord in a natural sense there was a time when he knew the Lord in a natural sense, but this is different. The way he now knows the Lord is different. See, the world accepts that the Lord was a good teacher. The Lord the world accepts that the Lord was a Jew. The world accepts that the Lord, fought for the fatherless and the underclass, the oppressed. That is how the world knows the Lord. That is not how we know the Lord that we save. That is not the relationship that we have with our Lord. This phrase, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is true that when we come to Christ, all our sins are passed away, all, all, all our offenses are done away with, all our transgressions are gone. And we are new in Christ. We are new creatures of God. That is absolutely fabulous, but that is absolutely true. But in the context of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, he is saying when you are in Christ, the thinking becomes different. The way you see Christ is now new, there is now a new vision. You now see things differently. Who would tell you that in order for you to be first, you should be last? What kind, what kind of order is that? The world won't tell you that. Who would tell you that in order to receive, you should give? Huh? If you want things, you should give. If, if you want to be a master, be a servant. Where does that come from? The world won't tell you this. This is, this is not the perspective of the world. The perspective, when you are in Christ, the perspective changes. Our thinking is become scrapped. Our database is erased. We need a new calibration of our thinking. We need a new way of looking at things. What do you do when your neighbor throws his dog waste in your yard? The old me, I know what I would do. Yeah. I know what I would do. The old me would know and I can deal with it. But what do we do? Now that we are, new crea- we are new creatures, what do we do when in our workplaces we are being victimized What do we do? Being a Christian is not a part time occupation, it's pervasive into everything. We are now thinking in a different way. The world, no wonder, will call us crazy. They take a shirt, you give them another shirt. A smacking one cheek, give him another cheek. You don't get that from the world. Those things come when we are in him, and his spirit comes into us, and he starts to teach us things that will blow us away. It is only then that the saints would sing songs as they were being bent at the stake, that is not natural. It is not natural. We need to change the way we think as Christians. Yes, life is tough, folks. Life is tough. But we have a unique way of looking at these things as Christians. Let it be manifest. Let it be obvious. The Apostle Paul says, look, our conduct is before you. You know us. They know how the Apostle behaved when he was being going through all these things. They know he conducted himself in such a way that it was a testimony of who he was. Now, I'll close. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In Luke chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son, we see God, the father, running. Now, in the Jewish history, you'd know that that is not a dignified thing to do for a respectable man to run. But we see him running. Now, when I was reading this, it really hit me last night because I saw it in a way that I've never seen it before. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. God is imploring. God is pleading. To man. Think about that for a second. The apostle is not finished. We pray you in Christ's state. That word pray actually means beg. Who is begging? Christ. I don't know how, I I, I don't know what this means to you. Christ, we are ambassadors. An ambassador, when an ambassador opens his mouth, right, he is speaking on behalf of his country, right? What he is saying is the voice of the country. And the apostle Paul here says, we beg you in Christ's stead. Christ is begging, wretched sinners. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who measures the universe in the span of his hand, through him for whom everything was created, without him nothing would consist, is begging. A wretched sinner. I don't mean to be controversial here, I am one of those who are firmly convinced that men and women will go to hell not because of God but because of man. Christ begging sinners. Think about that. If this is not detected, when you preach the gospel, if this is not detected in your voice, In your message, pleading for the souls of men and women, we fall short of the gospel. This is not academic exercise. When we preach the gospel, we take the pulpit. We are speaking things that are in our hearts. Not in our heads. We are th- speaking things that are of conviction. We are convicted and we know that Christ is going to come to judge this world. And we know that any man and any woman who is not in Christ they think things are bad. It is scary what they're going to go through. I mean, I say this even to our families, to our loved ones that are not saved. It is scary. What will befall them if they die without Christ? It is absolutely scary. And this is why we should plead with souls. Christ imploring. Now, this is... N- 20 to 6 verse 1 to 2. What is the apostle saying here? He is not saying, be ye reconciled to the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians are already, the church, they're already saints. We already know that. But verses 20 to 6, verses 1 and 2, the apostle Paul breaks into his gospel message. So what is he saying? He is saying, We as ambassadors of Christ, God imploring men and Christ begging. This is the message that we say to men and women. Be ye reconciled to God. This is a gospel message. This is now the Apostle Paul telling us the message that we preach. This is the gospel message that we should be preaching. Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us. This is a gospel message. This is in quotations. He is telling us this is the message that we convey to people to win them to their hearts. Be ye reconciled to Christ, for he, he, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. Time doesn't permit me to expand on, on all these things. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you this is the Apostle Paul. He is talking to unconverted people. He is giving us a template of a gospel message to preach. We beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He's not talking to the Corinthians. Again, he is preaching. He's saying, Look, don't 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 put away this message. Don't don't treat this message as vain. Why? Because I have had thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I secured thee. If you go back in Isaiah, you look at this passage, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus. So the message here is, he's talking of the Lord Jesus as he pays for our sins, as he goes through this, God the Father testifies to him to say, I am going to raise you. You are going to be a propitiation for, the, for their sins and the evidence that You are accepted unto me. You will rise from the dead. We should not demean the resurrection. The resurrection is a very important aspect of the gospel because the resurrection is a testament of the fact that Christ has paid the price. The father was satisfied. He defeated death. And now death no longer reigns on us. God raised him back from the dead. And therefore, now is accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Get saved today. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? That's the message that we said. That's the message that we ought to be giving. That is the message that people should hear from us when we take the pulpit. The apostle Paul, afflicted, accused, vilified, but look at his message that he says to us today. He's not fighting his corner. He really isn't. He's just fighting that the message of Christ will still go through. I pray that our minds will be renewed and we start to see things The way Scripture wants us to see this world. And they affect our lives so that we approach circumstances in our lives in a way that is not carnal, in a way that is informed by the wisdom of Scripture. We are different we see things differently. That is the secret to maintaining joy in our hearts in the midst of hard times. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your encouragement unto us words cannot do justice to explain Thank you, O Lord, that you speak to us. Thank you, O Lord, that you are our teacher. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.